you're actually not hungry at all. Like you're out of breath, you're tired. The last thing you want, you just want to drink water. You don't want to eat food. Um, so you exercise before you eat anything. Then that takes you till about 10, have a coffee or something, and you could easily yeah. get lunch before you eat a single thing. About, so. Yeah, like a double macchiato or something like that, mid-morning. You wouldn't need anything till about 2 o'clock. Yeah, definitely. I need to get back to it. Obviously, since I, since, since I returned from traveling about, I've completely lost the, the discipline, which is not what you want to do. But um, yeah, I need to get the back thing to I it. Learned, <clears throat> the thing I learned, which is really important, and most people don't realize is, right, bowl of rice, bowl of pasta, bread, something like that. It's, um, that's just like a cake. You might as well have, a, you know, you might as well have cake on the side of your, your potatoes or whatever. Yeah, it's carbs, carbs, carbs. Caroline, I've been back for a, I've been back for a couple of weeks actually, but yeah. you... carbs aren't necessarily bad. It's just that you have to understand you shouldn't eat huge amounts of it, um, and, and you should always eat it with protein and fibers and stuff like that. So mixed diet. Um, you don't need it. You don't eat carbs at all. I don't know about that. Yeah, I think you need a bit. Um, and you can alter carbs as well, by the way, folks. You can alter the, the biochemistry of it so it doesn't actually give you that glycemic sort of spike or whatever. So coconut oil into rice, for instance, that, that apparently changes the chemical composition of it. Um, it works with pasta as well. And uh, reheating carbs as well. So in other words, do pasta, make a load of it, and then just re steam it back again next day, and it changes it at a biochemical level. Um, so... Okay, um, let's uh, let's get on with it, um, folks. Uh, let's uh, uh, firstly um, welcome everybody to Brick Food Live on air. Talk about dieting as you do when you get older, uh, everybody. Uh, this is a normal normal thing when your mortality becomes more uh, something you're looking to preserve. Um, so, welcome everybody. Um, uh, great to see everyone here. December the first, would you believe it? It's episode two, three, five. We're nearly at the home stretch. Uh, today is going to be. Um, the first of a four-part series that's going to see us to the end of the year. It's going to be a look-back series. So we're going to basically look back on the year on various topics um, and just see, just remind ourselves what are the main things that have happened this year um, and just to, uh, for, for us to kind of just have a, a retro on it together. Um, and today we're going to be talking about AI, of course, huge topic in of itself. But we're going to get Martin Resident to try and crunch that down into digestible chunks. Um, we're going to be talking about work tech investment as well. Like where is the investment going on? Uh, we've seen um, uh, uh, Atomico release their um, European uh, uh, state of European tech funding. Uh, it's going to be in Brain Food next week, uh, next Sunday. Please do have a read of that. Um, very uh, interesting and sobering uh, news there as well. Um, but we've got uh, George LaRock to tell us all about uh, what his perspective is on this. And then we've got going to finish off with talking about D, D and IB. Uh, so in other words, uh, where have we gone with uh, uh, diversity and inclusion in 2023? Have we gone forward? Have we gone backwards? Have we stayed the same? Um, uh, you know, where are, are we with that, particularly in the, these like challenging economic times? Anyway, um, I need to firstly check on sound because someone's saying they can't hear me. Um, so I just want to make sure that's not me at all. Um, can you hear me okay? Let me know in the chat uh, whether the audio is fine, folks. I've got a slightly changed setup here um, and I want to make sure that everything is okay. Um, we should be live streaming this on LinkedIn. Let me just check if I am doing that. Um, and uh, if you're watching this on various LinkedIn's, everyone's like live streaming. So thank you, uh, Luke. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, everybody, for pushing this out. Um, if you can hear me okay in those places, uh, then fantastic. Are we live streaming? I don't think we are. Yes, we are. 
Um, okay, great. It seems that we're out there. Uh, let, let us know in the comments whether the audio is fine there also. Um, okay. I, 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 can't, I can't hear you, by the way. I just know what you're saying because you say the same thing every week. <laughs> Don't say that, mate, because I actually can't hear myself. Um, so it's like I'm, I'm, only, I'm actually, only kidding. I'm com I'm confused. Um, like I I don't know sort of uh, whether I'm I'm on or not. Um, but yeah, folks, um, uh, make sure everything's okay. Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, LinkedIn confirmation. Uh, right, we need to thank our sponsors, of course. Without our sponsors, uh, we cannot do this show. So thank you um, for our sponsors. Every week they're stepping in, making sure this show stays on the road. And this week, who is it? Oh, my God. It's the one and only poetry, Adam Gordon. How how coincidental. You're right here. Uh, tell, wow. tell us a lot about poetry, mate. Yeah, great. Okay, thank you for allowing me to sponsor your wonderful show. Um, <clears throat> poetry is a recruiter enablement workspace. And it consists of tiles, which uh, allow you to access solutions for recruitment marketing, recruitment operations, uh, recruiter learning, and um, other tools like Boolean strings and battle cards and, and many, many others. The 40 solutions within the one workspace. The two things that we're trying to help you do are, number one, we're trying to help recruiters become wonderful marketers. And number two, and it's, it's Poets Day today, wonderful. Um, thank you, Martin. Um, and the number, number, number two thing we're trying to do is we're trying to eliminate toggle tax. The amount of time that people spend going from one app to another, trying to get their tasks completed. There's over 70 different workflows and, and uh, steps that you need to take in talent acquisition. And some companies have got 70 different technologies that they have to use for that. So um, sign up for free free admin account at www.poetryhr.com. Have a look around and visualize a world where your recruiters are saving at least 31 minutes every day. You know what? I really like that concept toggle tax um, because that's exactly what happens when you've got too many things flashing around in your, your screen. I mean, I, I do get it when people have actually got two or three screens on the go at the same time. And that I think is like one solution, but it, it kind of underlines the problem that we have because we're looking at too many dashboards generally. Um, and that just stops us from focusing on the thing that we need to do now. Um, and of course, that's not productivity. Uh, I read actually someone was talking about how multitasking is very similar uh, to how animals behave um, uh, in the wild um because they're also also multitasking they're eating food they're also keeping an eye out for who's going to kill them that you know all kinds of things doing on always at a point of stress they're never like contemplative never doing introspection obviously they never develop sort of high mental faculties as well um so yeah i i think we kind of regress back into that when we've got too many things flashing at us um generally speaking that's not healthy mate I mean, Theo, Theo's just said he's got a natural inclination to toggle because of his ADHD. Like 99% of people who work in talent acquisition, I think, have got exactly the same. And um, so like being able to organize all your stuff in one um, workspace is something that's very popular. Another concept I just want to quickly mention is that of the dark cockpit. Um, the dark cockpit's a really good one. So helicopter pilots, when you're, when you're building um, helicopters, you, you want to make sure that they're not distracted by anything in that cockpit other than what they need at that specific time. That's it. You know, what we've got in recruitment is tabs open here, social networks here, things flashing all over the place. You know, if a, if a helicopter pilot was trying to do talent acquisition the way we typically do it, they'd crash their helicopter. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree Dark more. Cockpit. 
you know, a dark cockpit is a good concept. Maybe one tab is all you need. I mean, just get that up there. And and hopefully this is what the, the AI future is going to help us think about because it will give us, we'll have less dashboards, hopefully. We'll have one, we'll have less tools. I do suspect one of, the, one of my forecasts for 2024 is that there will be rationalization in terms of tool usage for TA teams. Uh, in other words, companies will, will not only do it on a cost uh, on a cost measure, but the lot, in other words, scrutinizing utilization of technologies that have been bought and purchased before they agree to renew. Um, but also, they're, they're going to look at okay, is there a singular tool that can help kind of do more of that? Uh, we know ATS is expanding their capability, We've got products like yours coming into play. We've got AI kind of obviously, maybe even replacing big chunks of work as well. So there's lots of things that might happen. Okay, we've witted it along a bit too much. Let's review the newsletter real quick and then get uh, our guests on to review the year. Um, uh, did you read the newsletter last week, Adam? And if so, what was interesting then? Yeah, um, I did. So the first thing uh, is, I'm sorry, I was on LinkedIn at the same time. <laughs> I was on LinkedIn at the same time as Crowdcast. And so I heard you talking and then talking again. Uh, right, ignore me. Right um, yeah. This is like mental. Okay, so um, the uh, I was watching Brainfood Live on LinkedIn, by the way. I wasn't just on LinkedIn doing stuff. Um, right, the first one, George Mack, he's a guy that I think you follow on, on Twitter. I've seen him um, a few times from things that you've tweeted. Um, and he put together a um, tweet series about the traits of high agency people. High agency people, high agency means you've, you're in control. You, you, you've taken control of your life, basically. Um, and I really, like, I really like some of the concepts in here. So they were weird teenage hobbies. I'm not really sure, but I mean, I guess like swimming against the tide is the point in that, like doing things that other people don't do. Yeah, fine, good. Um, when, you do a, when you meet that person, you leave feeling more upbeat. Yeah question would you um would you call that person if you wanted to get out of jail do you think they could get you out of jail and if they could they're high agency um you can't predict what their opinion is going to be about a subject i think that is really really important because the amount of sheep we have today is ridiculous um honestly i said something to somebody the other day and they said oh you probably believe in this and this and this as well i was like no um, so, um, you know, we, we, we categorize people far too much according to things like what they look like or one opinion they've got about one particular subject. Um, immigrant mentality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think you have, you, I don't think you need to be an immigrant to have that mentality, but the mentality is you're not just going to sit where you are. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to go to the place which is going to suit you best and is going to help you achieve whatever, whatever you want to achieve best. Um, so I think that's a really good one. Um, they send you niche content. I, I, the only thing I can think about that is that they learn, which is which is good. Other than that, I'm not really sure the point of that particular one. Um, but one that one that means that your high agency is um, hung. That um, these people are mean to your nice about you behind your back. Um, and I know that you're nice about me behind my back, despite being really horrible to me as a, you know one to one. 
I'm not really horrible, mate. I'm just being honest. But yeah, I mean, it's like a it's, it's it's like repartee, isn't it? I mean, I think most people recognise it's it's like like a high repartee. Um, yes. But um, but yeah, I thought that was really good. I, I do agree yeah. with the, the the analysis that the weird teenage hobbies is a bit cliched, but the other ones I I, I really liked. I like the ones which is you know, the concept, who would you call that would solve like a major problem that you had? Like, is there a person you would actually call to do that? That's not to say that person's a, a better person or a better friend or whatever, but there's someone who might be able to pull strings to get shit sorted. Yeah. yeah that's a high things happen. person. Makes things happen. Um, and uh, I like the, um, uh, the, 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 again, the, my second favorite is again, that you can't predict the thinking. Um, because yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I've been lambasted as being conspiracy theorist and all this type of stuff. It's like, you know, not really, but I, I totally understand that, you know, some people like to have more conventional views on every topic. And, you know, there's, you know, if you think about all of the myriad of, of, of values or, and, and positions you can take on the world, um, there's, there's kind of like what the middle ground is. And sometimes that middle ground is, is kind of clearly signaled, if you like, to say this is what we endorse. This is the official endorsed view. Um, and whilst there's no point in being a contrarian for the sake of it, um, sometimes you have to understand that, you know what, maybe maybe the, you know, the people aren't giving you all the information you need in order to make that decision. And perhaps they've got an, a vested interest in you or like being, a, 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 you know, going with the flow um, because you know, that's a management issue more than anything else. It's not any desire to really get to the bottom of things. I feel um, like this is more pronounced in, in the United States than it is anywhere else. The concept of if you believe one thing, then you definitely believe these other five things as well because of the polarized media. You know, if, you're a, if you are anti-abortion or you're anti-vaccination, then everybody, like, expects a lot of other things that you believe. Yeah, it's predictable. What, what, the, what a lot of this is, a lot of these... A lot of these like ideological commitments are just like tribal signaling in my view in, in other words i don't think people necessarily strongly have investigated these views um but they'll just say oh you know my group generally says this therefore i need to say it also in order to signal my belonging to this group uh, and my opposition to the other group and have you actually considered the idea in its own merits or not um that's why i think you get these ideas clustering together i wonder whether it actually happens in recruiting actually you know is, is there are there certain ideologies that cl cluster together um uh, without deep analysis of them or without any due diligence maybe so who knows anyway worth be. reading that tweet let's get uh, let's get another one in before we get our guests in dude okay so um your i i enjoyed your i enjoyed your poll about like why do you reckon um why do you reckon sam altman was fired it was quite interesting um wrong well, it was all wrong, of course. Yeah. Well, if I had, well, we don't know whether whether it was wrong or we're not or not. I don't think anybody knows the actual details on it. But what I wanted to comment on this is, I'm sure there's people here who who know of examples of where this has happened before. That literally the employees have gone. We're not having this. We're all leaving unless you bring him back. Um, I mean, I it's the sort of thing you hear about in like Gladiator or. A Musketeers mm. movie or something like that. I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. recall this scenario in a company before. It's probably happened. I think it's nearly happened with Apple. I think it, it nearly happened the first time when um, Steve Jobs left Apple. I think there was a lot of people very upset about that. Yeah. But um, it, I mean, that's remarkable. The cult of personality in there is is really remarkable. 
Yeah, the cult of personality, but also um, self-interest, mate, um, because a lot, all of those employees will have um, a significant equity share in OpenAI. Um, and if OpenAI collapses as a result of enough people walking out um, and, uh, and, and you know, joining Sam Altman's next thing, let's say, um, then, you know, all, of, all the equity goes to zero. Um, so I think it's not only just maybe his, I do think his charisma uh, has brought along a lot of the, the talent. He was responsible for a lot of the recruitment. So there's a lot of, you know, loyalty when the boss brings you in, so to say. Um, but I think there's also very significant, you know what, um, we're, <laughs> I'm going to lose 10 million quid here if, if this goes down the way it seems to have gone down. So we, we're either all striking together or getting back. Um, and that's what's happened. Um, so, so yeah, all's, all's well, it ends well. Let's see what happens with OpenAI going forward. Okay, one more, mate, before we get out, Martin. On. <coughs> okay, um, it, I, as with every week, it's hard to do one more. Um, I, I was going to talk about Michael Blackley's, um, like, hiring a developer in 2023. Uh, really interesting article about, like, that's part of the concept of building in public, right, for a startup right. is, like, just, just documenting this is what I've been doing. Uh, the other one I wanted to talk about was Ben, ben Phillips's. He's just such a such a great. He just shares stuff that's brilliant. And the one about um, you know, if you you create a video all about repurposing content, you create a video, you can use the script from it, you can use stills from it, you can use captions from it, things like that. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about those. I'm going to talk about John Brooks's pricing um, okay. article. Right, so. John Brooks is a pricing specialist in in recruiting, and he's published a guy a, a, like a, a thought piece um, about. I think it was based on some research. It was based on research, definitely, because there's stats in it about how can recruitment agencies, you know, what's the current state of like differentiating through pricing. So, a few interesting parts of it. The first is that recruitment companies seem to seem to place an eight point four score on the value they think they're delivering, whereas their clients place an average score of 6.7 on that. So the value that they're bringing is not, there's a, there's a, there's a misalignment there, <clears throat> which is quite interesting. Second thing is recruiters who see themselves as very different to their competitors are seemingly 7.5% 7 more confident on pricing negotiations. Um, I mean, 7.5% doesn't sound like a huge amount, but like, you know, law of marginal gains and everything, you're going to succeed better if you can see yourself as very different. Um, the, the, the difference between being able to get exclusivity on, on permanent versus on um, temp hiring is uh, recruiting is nothing. There's no different. Uh, clients negotiate 38% more on perm fees than they do on temp fees. I wonder if that's because psychologically they think about the temp fees as going to the actual worker rather than going to the supplier. Yeah, it's um, to go. yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I totally get that. Um, four point four. Right? Is it easy to is it easy to win exclusivity? Is it easy to win exclusivity? Got four point four out of ten. As in no, not. Is it easy to win a retainer? Got three point four out of ten. So. Nobody thinks that it's easy to get any of these things. And then the biggest challenge was, which I, I just don't feel like it should be a challenge. Recruitment companies should have a lot more imagination than this. But the biggest challenge to winning in the market is differentiation. Like nearly 30%, I think it was, said that that was their, big, their biggest problem, was 
how to stand out versus the competition. In fact, the, the competition itself was about another 25% or something. So between those two, it was like 50% or more than 50%. Yeah. How to differentiate and competition was the, the two biggest things. And you know what? I think, I think that, that was my biggest takeaway from that uh, bit of research. And by the way, it's really worth, uh, it's also a great example of how you can do research in a very low, small sample. So all, all John did was speak to about 60 recruitment agency owners, I think, something like this. Decent enough sample, you know, what do they all say? Um, and it turned out that actually uh, companies that were a thought of themselves, they self I deeply felt that they were different from their competition, had more confidence in negotiating better rates. Whereas if you kind of think, you know what, we're kind of just doing the same thing, then, you know, you're weak on that um, value prop. Um, so there's two things there. You could, you could either hypnotize yourself to think you're totally different. So you change your mentality or change your reality that you do provide a different service. Can you do something that is genuinely different? Um, either in terms of delivery of candidates or how you deliver those candidates or how you deliver the service. Um, I, I think recruitment agencies are going to get more technical as time goes on in order to differentiate. Uh, so in other words, they'll be able to, uh, they'll start tooling up uh, to be able to say, look, we put candidates through this process. We do this type of testing, DDD. We do all of this type of thing in order to then present a, a differentiated case uh, to their customer base. So, I, I, you know, it's not about emailing out CVs anymore and like hustling through uh, that that uh, that game is just going to be ex increasingly tougher to, 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 to work on. I agree. I think it, it's, it's inevitable that, that it's going to be easier for them to, to um, it's going to be easier for them to differentiate as they're forced into adopting more innovative service models and into adopting more tech enabled services. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Any agency owners watching this, let me know whether you have any plans to differentiate your services in 2024. Like, are, are you going to compete in some different way? Are you going to offer, you know, a new wrinkle in terms of how you actually deliver uh, your services? Um, so uh, anyway, let's uh, let's get um, uh, Martin Redstone on. Um, he's been waiting patiently and he may have actually even done some work for us. I hope he hasn't. Um, but I've asked Martin to do the impossible, uh, which is to crunch down, uh, crunch down what's happened in, in AI this year in, in, in 15 minutes. Let's see if he can do it. Um, so, folks, we are going to do a retro on AI. Um, let me know in, your, in the comments there, uh, you know, what's your one big takeaway um, from artificial intelligence this year? And by the way, I think the, uh, the, the, the anniversary of um, ChatGBT was only a couple of days ago. So it is actually yesterday. Yeah. Was it yesterday, Martin? Brilliant. Yeah. So yeah. it's very, very timely, very relevant. Uh, okay, so I think most people know Martin Redstone, but for folks who don't, can you quickly introduce yourself, Martin? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so thank you, Hung. Good to see you. And also good to see you back on the show, Adam, as well. Uh, my name is Martin Redstone. Um, I have been in the recruitment industry for the last 18 years, uh, but for the last six years, I've been all about conversational AI in recruitment. And obviously, over, over the last 12 months, that's kind of flitted a little bit more into generative AI. Um, but yeah, I work with uh, recruiters, uh, both in-house and recruitment businesses, on um, implementing uh, conversational generative AI and upskilling them in uh, conversational generative AI as well. Yeah, and I understand that's like a, a very healthy market for you these days, Martin. So, <laughs> you know, it's fantastic to see that people are taking it seriously and starting to operationalize 
some of this technology that we're seeing. Um, so Martin, I did ask you kind of an impossible task uh, when we had lunch the other day to say, okay, you know, can we can we timeline this? Like, what are the big moments? Um, you know, if we, we think about you know, ChatGPT being the big bang, uh, like what other things have, have happened uh, in AI this year, uh, and particularly AI with recruitment? I mean, uh, AI generally, but also AI in recruiting. So uh, can you give us a quick timeline on, on these major events? How, how do you see the, the year? Oh, we've even got- a Absolutely. You asked me to prepare something. Obviously <laughs> Mate, I, I, didn't, something. I, didn't expect, I didn't expect a slideshow, but we've got a bonus here, folks. Well, it's okay, not a slideshow. Brilliant. It's uh, It's a timeline. It's a timeline. So um, I know I've pretty, pretty much got about three minutes to go through this because um, obviously you two waffling on right at the beginning take up half the show. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, literally yesterday was the first year anniversary of uh, the launch of ChatGPT. Apart from that, nothing really much has happened over the last 12 months. And that's the end of my presentation. No, um, I mean, look, you know, five weeks to, you know, to one million users, not even, sorry, one week, to, uh, five days to one million users, five weeks to 100 million users. Uh, but then February the 1st, the plus version uh, of ChatGPT launched because um, ultimately everybody was complaining, especially over here in Europe, that as soon as the US came online in the afternoon, we couldn't access ChatGPT. Um, so that launched uh, there to give us kind of access to faster servers and priority, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <laughs> thanks, Adam. Um, it was actually myself uh, and a bit of Canva. Um, but um, yeah, and then obviously at the same time, going back into the recruitment world, um, we started seeing use cases for generative AI appearing in recruitment. Uh, MetaView launched their first generative AI product, which was their AI notes uh, on the same day that uh, ChatGPT Plus launched. March was just a crazy busy month. Um, the API for ChatGPT launched um, GPT-4, which if you remember all of the rumors that were going around about GPT-4 at the time, which was, it's going to be AGI, it's going to be this, it's going to be that, but actually it's just, you know, a more souped up version of, uh, of 3.5 ultimately. Um, but then obviously later on in the year, we were able to add kind of multi-modality onto that. Obviously in March, so we had GPT-4, um, we had Anthropic um, launch Claude, which is, you know, a very close competitor of, um, of ChatGPT now. We also saw Google launch Bard as well in March. Uh, and then again, on the recruitment side, Beamery launched their talent GPT product as well. Um, and then at the end of the March, um, you know, the world kind of imploded because because Italy banned ChatGPT and everybody said, right, that's it. That's the end of ChatGPT. Um, it's uh, got major issues from a data privacy perspective. The whole of Europe is going to ban it. Um, um, a quick, but, quick pause, Martin. Um, sure. So, so GPT, um, sort of ChatGPT's API launching basically unlocks AI for a lot of recruitment providers isn't it? it it kind of creates well, an opportunity for almost anybody to basically build 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 a a, 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 a gpt wrapper i guess something to wrap around um the, the ai that uh, uh, open ai have have built um well uh, yes and no so um there was an api into gpt beforehand which is why meta were able to launch um their generative ai product before um the chat gpt api but that was the the, the chat gpt api was the bit that really um commoditized ai basically um and and as you said in, enabled so many people to create wrappers we saw kind of pdf um chat with your pdfs we saw lots of different applications coming out um really really quickly um post chat gpt api launch yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah, as we move through April, um, Phenom uh, launched their X Plus. Um, Adam, 
Why did they not get? Um, why have they not been shut down by uh, Elon Musk yet for calling it X? <laughs> I think X happened after X, or uh, um, sorry, um, Twitter happened after Phenom. Um, well, Phenom's not shutting Twitter down, is it? No, no. I, I, well, I think it's a product called X. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I mean, Elon just probably has a uh, a GFY answer to that now after the interview the other day. So um, <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> It's basically a standard response to everything now. Um, but yes, I think it's very, very far down in his priorities behind, you know, Disney and Universal and people like that. Um, and then, yeah, hallelujah, end of April, one month later, ChatGPT returns to Italy. The world can can, can breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, Europe is not going to shut down ChatGPT. Not much happened um, across kind of May through to July. Um, we saw plugins, obviously, uh, which were going to be the next big thing, you know, the app store of generative AI come to ChatGPT Plus, as well as um, access to the internet, which was closed down very, very quickly after that. Um, but then July, um, uh, that's July the 22nd, not the year, um, they, um, uh, ChatGPT then launched custom instructions. Now, this started giving us the ability to start personalizing the experience with ChatGPT a little bit more. Um, and, and that, kind of started leading us towards the thought process around how can I structure ChatGPT in my own in my own way. Um, now um, just you know kind of like small little uh, small little plug for my uh, for my training stuff. Um, but then we had um, Enterprise in August um, launch. So finally um, you ChatGPT was being used very much by um, the individuals um, um, and now a business could could buy an enterprise license for ChatGPT. That also came with things like um, privacy uh, and security features that they don't have in the uh, consumer version. So really started to um, enable businesses to take more advantage of ChatGPT. Um, and then, yeah, September, mid-September, we finally got access back again to the internet through ChatGPT, which was great. Uh, and then towards the end of it, this, this finally, this multimodal version of ChatGPT that we were promised back in March with the launch of GPT-4 became a thing. We were able to import images, um, ask questions and prompt on those images in the same with voice as well. Um, now, th the last couple of months have just been super exciting um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, from a recruitment perspective, October um, saw the launch of probably the, more, the most popular candidate-focused um, generative AI product, which was AI Apply. Um, I know that this is going to be a big conversation moving forward in our industry um, regarding the candidate being AI powered now. Um, but that was kind of a significant event, you know, the launch on Product Hunt, you know, and then, you know, everyone getting super excited about A, having a platform to you know, generate CVs and cover letters, but also to apply to a bazillion jobs all at the same time. And then we enter the roller coaster of November. Um, absolute and utter. Um, roller coaster of, of a month, which it, I mean, I could have probably filled fill the whole timeline. So I've kind of condensed it down as much as possible. I've not talked about the um, um, the, the, the board romantics of ChatGPT because of, of OpenAI because it just doesn't um, affect us as we've seen really. Um, it was a weekend of soap operas. Um, but yeah, early in November, we obviously had the Dev Day, OpenAI's first developer day. Um, which um, brought about the debut of GPTs. So I mentioned about custom instructions, the starting point of being able to personalize ChatGPT. This was it. This was our ability to now create our own custom ChatGPT. 
um, and be able to build a conversation that we could go back to time and time again and repeat and use with its own instructions and its own training data. But then straight away after that, nobody could use ChatGPT because A, um, we had massive um, outages caused by a DDoS attack um, that happened uh, the day after Dev Day. And then a week later, because there was such a massive uptake in plus subscriptions because of um, GPTs, ChatGPT halted um, the ability to create a new license, a new subscription for uh, GPT plus. Um, moving into later November, um, we had then again, kind of more of an HR um, use case rather than recruitment, but Josh Bursin launched his product Galileo, um, which is kind of a, the, the HR expert for every HR practitioner, um, uh, which is GPT based um, piece of technology. And then, and then 21st of November um, last week, um, Anthropic really took advantage of, of, of OpenAI's kind of uh, um, chaos that was going on there and launched what is an absolutely superb product. Um, Anthropic launched Claude 2.1. You, know, you could put you know, a novel into there. It's got a massive window um, of, of tokenization. It's a fantastic product. If you're not using Claude, you should absolutely go and have a play with it. Um, and then, yeah, and then, and then at the end of November, at the same time as all this chaos going on, OpenAI was still able to ship a product and they um, uh, released the voice version to everybody, including the free users. And after that, um, I mean, it's just you know, here, there and everywhere, um, little pieces of things, but those are kind of the big, big stories of the last 12 months from a generative AI perspective. Fantastic stuff. Round of applause. Digital round of applause for Martin Redstone. Um, what a wonderful timeline. Uh, I think that this is such a useful thing just to, again, I'm feeling the nostalgia and it's only like 12 months down the road. I should not be feeling nostalgia for anything of that uh, that's just gone through that type of time frame. But there's been such a density of activity in this space that it's really very useful to be able to just map that out and have a look-see. Um, and of course, you know, we had really, really great comments on the thread. Uh, talking about legislation acts and stuff like this. Also, yeah. you know, they can appear into uh, an expanded view of that at some point. Um, uh, loads of other things. I mean, it, it, probably it's an industry-wide uh, effort to try and create a timeline to map it all down for us. Um, because, of, of course, Microsoft have launched huge things. We've seen yeah. LinkedIn push out. Uh, I don't know when the AI Composer came out. That was certainly this year. The AI-generated... Uh, job ad and all that type of stuff you could even do there's, i mean there's loads of things it, i, I joked launched. with you when yeah amazon just launched party rock yeah. um yeah um I, I didn't even put in there we talk about elon musk but i didn't put in there grok either i mean ultimately as, as i said to you hung you know when, when you asked me to put it together i said you could actually create you know for, for, for every month there was you could create you know a year's worth of timeline for just the amount that's been going on this year um and there's a as a practitioner, as an as, and as a consultant in this area, I have to say it's been bloody hard keeping up with it. It's been really, really hard keeping up with it. Yeah, it's hard to basically ever snapshot it, isn't it? I remember giving a yeah. talk on AI four weeks ago, and I don't think that talk can be used anymore. Um, it, it's it's already out of date. Um, it's it's like, please don't look at that because it's gonna it's no longer a good yeah. talk. Um, so I think it's really difficult, but that's the pace of change. Uh, that we've got and it's you know an exhilarating ride um give us a summary of all of that martin like so basically it's mainstreamed we've got as you say it's also been commoditized at the software development level 
Um, yeah. And, you know, recruiters seem to be adopting it, right? So, so this, this, the, where, where are we with recruiter adoption of AI in your perspective and the company you're speaking with? Um, in all honesty, um, I, n- nobody I'm speaking with has got um, an enterprise agreement as yet, apart from um, some of the kind of bigger um, organizations. But um, it's still very much at the individual user level. Um, and v- the vast majority of people are still experimenting, um, which is kind of why I ended up um, starting up with some, some training stuff. It was just literally um, people asking me because they were playing with it, they experimenting with it, they didn't know how to get the most out of um, AI tools that were available to them from a consumer perspective that they could use in business. Um, so I don't think that we are, even though you know probably almost 100% of people would have heard of it, 87% of people probably have tried it, I don't think there's that many people that feel as though they are confident enough to be using it um, at a really productive level just yet. I think people are still using it and using it well, but I don't think it's become part of our everyday um, productivity suite just yet. And I think with the launch of Copilot, certainly for people who are Microsoft users, that's going to, that's going to um, expedite that um, no end. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're, I think next year is going to be a really, really important year for the adoption of AI tools, but also we talk about it enough for the, for the adoption of AI tools from a recruiter and a candidate perspective. Just for additional context on that, uh, my co-founder, Mike Hughes, his teenage kids use ChatGPT or Bard before they use Google to find information. Mm. So, you know, there is a big change in the way we're going to be doing things that's coming. And of course, it starts with people that age and then it works up to people like your age, huh? (laughs) But I agree. (laughs) I know, I totally agree. I think think this this is the issue with... You know, when we talk about, and I keep going on about it, when we talk about AI power candidates, is that we're seeing it in the younger generations first, because they are obviously going to be looking for, you know, tech-based, um, you know, um, support and, and augmentation for how they do things that they don't see as very high value. And so, um, so yeah, so so when we, when we as kind of, you know, recruiters are trying to push back on it, we have to understand that we've got a whole new generation of people that are both kind of, moving up into the workforce and are there in the workforce who are expecting to use these kind of tools. Um, so yeah, so we have to be prepared for it. Um, and, and you're right. And, and um, you know, my, my wife's a teacher, she teaches teenagers and absolutely, you know, she's coming to me saying, you know, we, we need to understand how to support our students with this as well. Martin, yeah. you might have missed it. It was way up the chat, but George LaRocque asked um, that like timelinogram thing that you did. Do you publish that type of stuff somewhere? Where do you publish it? Uh, I, I can do, yeah. So, so um, I've obviously created it um, for 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 this show, but I will absolutely um, publish it on my weekly newsletter. Yep. I was I was about to say, share the link to your newsletter, Martin. Everyone should subscribe to that if you're interested in keeping pace with AI um, as you as we go forward. Um, and also, that timeline will appear on that uh, on next week's newsletter. Let's say, Martin, just bang it in there. Um, yeah. And that'll be brand brilliant. Martin Redstone, wonderful to have your contribution as usual. Great to see you, man. Hopefully, I'll catch up with you before the Christmas break. And um, uh, and yeah, we'll catch up soon, mate. Looking forward to it. Cheers, guys. It is remarkable how dominant this one issue has been in technology and even in our you know world of recruiting. Dude, we could have even done our own research on the the, the sort of volume of people who are subscribed to 
Brain Food Lives or registered on Brain Food Lives when we had ChatGPT in the title, uh, it was like times 10 compared to any other topic. It was crazy level of interest and demand. Um, and I think you, you know, people like Martin, so, so valuable in the industry, sharing information, also providing that custom sort of uh, training as well. Avail yourself to it, it's cheap it's chips. Go on, uh, <laughs> avail yourself to it. Um, but no, definitely empower yourself. One of the things I think TA teams have got to do is just get a handle on this now. Like you've got to figure out how do we operationalize it throughout the, uh, throughout the team. Uh, because I think that next year, 2024, ain't going to be any easier in terms of the the sort of pressure that TA teams are going to getting, um, and and we need to we need to basically be hyper efficient on it. Okay, we're going to flip over. We're going to bring George Laroc on because we need to talk about a sort of HR tech work tech investment uh, this year. Um, let's uh, let's quickly jump to it. Oh, folks, before we do that, we always do this in the middle of every show. I know we're kind of like well late already, but um, we always want to make sure. Uh, that we emerge from Brain Food Live with loads of connections, because I think the most valuable thing we can do on these conversations is to leave these conversations enriched with stronger networks. Um, and the way to do that is fairly straightforward. Just grab your LinkedIn URL, bang it in the chat stream if you're watching this on Crowdcast. If you're watching this on any of the LinkedIns, just put it into one of the comment threads that you're wherever you're watching that channel, and then connect with everyone else who's doing the same. Um, and then you're going to walk away with 20, 30, 40, 50 connections that's going to boost you into 2024. Very important you get that done, folks. Um, I am a believer that one of the ways in which um, human beings will um, kind of defend themselves a little bit, let's say, against AI is, is to have access to network intelligence, you know, um, to be well networked with information. I mean, some of the stuff I was speaking to you about earlier today, Adam, about, oh, I don't know anything about this, and you helped me with that. And it's like, that's hyper-valuable, man. So that, that type of thing, everyone needs to get to. Uh, anyway, we have uh, Mr. George LaRock, the ever young George LaRock, getting younger by, by are you, is this some sort of AI filter here, George? <laughs> I've sent my digital twin. So. You know what, it's going to yeah. put pressure on all of us, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's like, if you start putting the AI filter on, you're never going to take it off because reality is just going to keep receding, um, whereas the AI is just going to keep getting better. Um, anyway, George, again, everyone knows you, but let's introduce yourself. Who are you, what it is you do? Uh, George LaRock, I'm the uh, founder at WorkTech, uh, market analyst and advisory firm, uh, oneworktech.com. We cover <clears throat> really the emerging categories in HR tech and work tech and all of the growth capital uh, that's coming into the space, align those trends uh, for buyers, tech providers, and investors, and help everyone un understand each other uh, and make better uh, buying, investment, uh, or go-to-market decisions based on that. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And uh, and and George, um, uh, same question to you. Ask Martin. You know, it's hard to summarize anything in 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 a, in a few words. But 2023, as we're coming towards the end of it, we'll probably have a little bit of a reflection as to how this compares uh, to 2022. Let's say in the years before. Uh, how what's your verdict on uh, the investment that's gone into work tech this year? Uh, well, uh, I was only joking in the chat. I actually do have. Uh, What's happening slides. here? Everyone is <laughs> presenting stuff. This is great. <laughs> um, and uh, because, you know, it's, there's so much data behind this that I find a picture uh, helps me tell the story. And the story um, for the year to date, um, you know, we're at uh, 4.5 billion in total global VC that's flowed into the space across 237 deals. Um, so when you look at that chart, those big 
stacks are 21 and 22. Uh, 2022 was driven really by the first half. Um, but those were anomalies. You know, we're looking at 2018 to date. And uh, prior to 2018, which was, uh, you know, 4 billion, 2019 was about 5 billion. Uh, prior to 2018, we had years like 1 billion, 1.2 billion, you know, hundreds of millions. So from when you really step back, um, it looks like you take those anomalies out uh, of, of the pot of the picture. And we're sort of on par with uh, with 2018, 2019, 2020. Um, but just like the economy at the macro, it looks really good. But for a lot of different reasons, um, when you zoom in, um, you know, it's kind of painful. Uh, it's painful to drop from the, those. A lot of people adjusted their mindset, adjusted their, you know, <laughs> their attitude toward raising capital or investing to uh, what became an anomaly from 2021 and 2022. Um, and I would say the overall keywords are hesitancy and everybody's cautiously optimistic. There is money flowing, um, but, uh, and there is, there are funds being created. Um, and, you know, we, I chaired the first uh, investor conference out at HR Tech um, just in October. And I'm hearing from several of the uh, startups who presented there that they're, they're, they've generated deals coming out of that, or they've been connected to deals that they're about to close. So that's really exciting to hear. Uh, but on the overall level, things have slowed down. Uh, when we zoom in um, a little closer on, like uh, before I get into sort of quarter to quarter, um, how it's broken down, This the category amounts from HCM to talent acquisition, um, you know, we've seen uh, this this isn't unusual to see HCM things like payroll, employers of records, benefits, technology, etc., um, generating both bigger deals and bigger deal volume or dollar volume overall. Um, talent acquisition, um, we uh, we see 1.2 billion, which is what I know what this audience is most concerned about. Over 86 deals, um, it was the same exact number of deals. Um, uh, in uh, in talent acquisition year to date as HCM. So the, it's like twice the deal size uh, going into HCM versus talent acquisition. Also not unusual. Mm -hmm. Looking back over the last eight years, um, not unusual. Um, the uh, the subcategories, I, I drilled down to over 60 subcategories. So it's not just about, you know, saying talent acquisition doesn't help much, but when you drill in, um, job boards are perennially, marketplaces, I should say, marketplace job boards are, always uh, the top or in the top two or three categories. When I look annually over the last you know, 10 years, the number one category, uh, that surprises a lot of people because the death of the job board has been reported since I was like, you know, you know, 30 years old. So it's a, um, and I, that was quite a while ago, but the, um, uh, the marketplaces have evolved just as the technology has evolved. So it's not just about a simple display ad, uh, but we've got programmatic technology, uh, campaigns being driven, the traffic being shared across and around the, uh, the industry. So it's, um, uh, and you can see how the rest of the, uh, the, the top uh, 10 or so subcategories break down. Um, at a, when I uh, zoom back or zoom in on this year, I should say, um, we have seen quarter to quarter, we started at about a billion, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 1.2 billion in Q1, 
dropped to a billion in Q2, 800 million in Q3. Now we've got a month left and December is usually a pretty active month for uh, deals coming in, in into the light. Uh, and we're at about 425 million. Now, I always caution a quarter does not make a trend, um, but, you know, four quarters, you know, things have slowed down. But at the end of the year, again, macro, it, it's um, it's like the economy, like, oh, or the U.S. economy, like, oh, the jobs numbers are good. The inflation's going down, but people are still in a lot of pain. Um, it's sort of like that with the VC in, investment. Um, I don't know if you had any uh, questions. I think I think the one of the things fueling that pain is the fact that like when we do this market sizing, um, it's a gr growing market. There's a lot of adoption uh, and a lot of entries to the market, a lot of startups flooding into the market. At, and if you came into the market in 2021 or 2022 and had an early raise um, at a inflated valuation, um, that that's where you're you've run into trouble and where we hear a lot of the the painful stories. So I'll pause for questions there. I've got two questions, George. Could you go back to the last slide, please? I can certainly do that. Yeah. So on the marketplace and job board uh, money, mm -hmm. is this mostly money that's going into supercharge established brands, or is it money that's going into startups and scale-ups? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, and when I look at the detail, um, the two of the biggest deals in talent acquisition uh, the two biggest deals of that 1.2 billion were two marketplaces, ShiftKey and ShiftMed, uh, and they ate up about 500 million of the 1.2 billion. But then there's a cliff, and uh, the rest of those deals uh, range anywhere from. Uh, let me see if I have anything under uh, a million. Yeah, uh, precedes at you know 400k all the way up to it, the the top is about 60 million. So yet yes, the numbers do can skew in any category based on that. Um, and this year we certainly saw that within talent acquisition. But if I were to equalize that, I think you'd see like the, the numbers would look different um, in the, the in the big category chart, but the 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 uh, relativity to the stat to the uh, bars wouldn't look that different, right? Everybody's impacted by that same issue in every category. Okay, thank you. The second question is why is staffing so unpopular and starved of capital. Uh, I don't know if I 66 have sixty-six million is like yeah. nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now, uh, granted, there could be you know a lot of uh, small deals that aren't on the radar that don't that don't show up. Um, I think we've got the best categorical breakdown. Our numbers are far bigger than um, in, in our category overall than what you'll see. We're, we're capturing more than like a, or we know how to categorize more than like a crunch book or a pitch book or a CB insights. Um, but uh, I think there are a lot of uh, smaller deals there. Um, and uh, so, you know, th that's one important point to mention. Another, um, uh, I, I think staffing's always been challenged in that in that way. Um, you know, you've got like, uh, you know, Bullhorn still the biggest story, uh, you know, in the market. And I, mean, I was running sales there for their first big raise from Highland Capital. And that was, uh, yeah, that was, that goes, you have to, you have to like read more on my LinkedIn profile to find Bullhorn on there. So, uh, 
yeah, that's, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's, it's a, there are some interesting things happening in staffing, uh, though. I think, you know, things like uh, leveraging AI, like uh, Squire, and I think uh, Reload. So a lot of concepts that are leveraging AI for either, you know, better data or better experience with customers or sort of democratizing for smaller staffing firms. Um, I think there's there's a lot happening. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, Bullhorn now, for example, has a, a venture fund, a corporate fund. Uh, I think they'll shed light on a lot of interesting things happening there as well. Yeah, and it's important to know, I think in the sidebar there, we're talking about staffing technology, right? Uh, in the sense of um, this is this is a category of, of software that is targeted towards third-party agencies uh, is what we're talking about. Um, uh, rather than staffing agencies per se. Um, wonderful stuff, George. Great to have that breakdown. I mean, I think you're right. Sometimes we just didn't need to see it in front of us. Um, uh, but the uh, the key key things I'm taking away from that is is the the expectations that have been set at such a high level over the the 21 22 um, as you mentioned first part of 2022 uh, period that's had a shocking recorrection. All of us are kind of shocked by this, uh, but we're, we're well into the shock now. We're kind of 18 months in, um, and we're probably now. Uh, kind of just need to to to, to gird, gird our loins, so to speak, for uh, for the future because that was, as you say, uh, kind of an aberrant uh, wave of optimism post pandemic lockdown and you know the potential future that we we, we thought we might be seeing. Um, in terms of the, I don't want to talk about the future because actually, George, my plan is in January to bring you back um, to do oh, a okay. podcast for the year. So um, right. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the future when the, <laughs> so when the future right. is actually here. I won't read um, those notes. No, but um, but in terms of the uh, the sort of the, the the pain points, as you say, companies that have I wouldn't say overraised because they probably made the right decision to raise at that value at that time. Everyone thought it was going to be like a forever growth period. Uh, what's what's the pros, pro, pro, prognosis for those folks? Is, is it just endless pain for them, um, or can they? How do they best recover uh, from uh, having raised too much? I mean, I guess that's the the situation now. Uh, if they are, if they've got enough revenue uh, to, you know, uh, and, and they've they've adjusted with, you know, uh, their bottom line with things like layoffs and and controlled spending, and they're able to sort of eke along, uh, they're waiting for, you know, the market to turn and revenue to come back to where it was, but also the ability to, you know, if capital's cheaper, they'll they'll be more revenue flowing, and they're hoping to be able to do that. Some though, you'll see uh, exit. Uh, at a um, uh, at a uh, uh, you know the only people making any money on the exit will be the investors because or you know they they always you know get their money back at that at that at that level or almost always and so uh, I think we're we've see, we've been when I talk to um, folks on the buy and sell side in the M and A market whether it's corp dev folks or private equity or uh, if, uh, uh, banks or uh, advisors there. Um, I think a lot of the consolidation, a lot of the bigger exits, I think they, they've been, uh, while um, there have been some of that, uh, it hasn't been as much as expected and they're still expecting a little more. Um, I think, you know, anybody that raised that kind of, you know, like packed their rocket full of that much fuel thinking they're going to IPO and go to the moon, um, you know, better be, you know, thinking of redesigning, you know, away from a, a rocket because that's not going to, the market doesn't look like it's going to support in our space. It doesn't look like we're going to 
see any big IPOs or if any, um, you know, in, in the next year or so. So I think there is, there's going to be a lot of pain. There are going to be some exits. Um, there, uh, there are a lot of companies I'm aware of that are out in that profile that you mentioned, Hung, um, that uh, are, uh, you know, looking for an exit and just, you know, given the financial picture, uh, triggers aren't being pulled on, on that. Um, the good news on the M&A side is that my friends at Venero uh, Capital Advisors, um, uh, they gave us some data at the summit, uh, I guess it was, you know, late, late October, and we saw valuations, um, you know, really drop in 2022 to where the average multiple was uh, 4.7x and the medium was 6.2. That doesn't sound good to any of the founders out there. In 2023, at that point last year, it, it had bumped back up. Um, the average um, at, uh, I think I, I flipped the average and median on this, the 4.7 and 6.2, but um, the average in 2023 for sure being 7x and the median being 8.1x. So we've kind of seen things moving. Those numbers are the kind of things we used to hear back in normal times, um, but they're moving back in the right direction. I don't have the latest update uh, from them, but but that's that's good news as well. Um, and it's good news for anything happening there and anything happening, you know, if you think about also in the public markets, the valuations there, it's all relative because every investor is looking at all of that data when they're, um, when they're, um, uh, uh, looking at uh, making an acquisition or an investment. Yeah, very, very good. Um, that's a great overview, George. We definitely need to take a deep dive into this. Um, uh, but I think the picture is clear, um, but it's always good to get the um, uh, the information out there. A very, very tough time, obviously, for everyone in uh, work tech, um, but there is deal flow and, and it's promising to see that there is uh, a sort of movement. And of course, we've we've seen some sort of M and A activity significantly this year. Maybe this is how 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 it, how it looks. Companies out there maybe looking to uh, pick up uh, what may be considered to be a bargain. Um. So um. So yeah. Um. Interesting times for all founders. Uh, thoughts with you. Um. Let's uh, again gird our loins. We're gonna go again in 2024. Uh, George, we've got to move on. Um. So thank you very much for uh, you. joining us. Um, Sorry, just one quick please. clarification. Um. There's a question about what what are you talking about in terms of uh multiples? Multiples of what? Uh. They've done uh uh enterprise value to uh uh revenue. Yeah. Yeah. It's all revenue. Cool. Thank you very much, um, uh, Paul. I, I'm afraid we're going to have to not bring you on for this show. I really am sorry. Uh, the reason why is simply because we're running well out of time. We're already free. Um, I want to bring you back, Paul, for the uh, the economy show towards the end of this uh, uh, series. I hope that's okay, man. Uh, I beg your pardon. But we're going to go straight to DNI. Um, this is going to be uh, bringing in uh, our friends uh, Theo. Let's see if he's there uh main stage him um and then we're gonna bring joe on as well might bring luke on if he's up for it i don't know whether he's in the right condition to come on screen but perhaps if he is i'm gonna invite him anyway uh luke if you're there and you want to come on uh just just click yes to this well, what kind of condition are you expecting him to be in he could be in a bathrobe. I don't know. Um, all right. I thought he was primed to be on it. No. All right. No. I mean, yeah. Some people uh, not ready. You know, they haven't got the face. Could be on. in the bath. Um, yes. Yeah, it's a possibility. Um, oh, there she is. It's Joe Lockwood. Good to see you again. 
Hey, how you doing? And uh, hi, Adam. Haven't seen you for a while. Hi. How you doing? Hi, Joe. Joe, for the folks who don't know you, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Um, in simple terms, I'm the inclusive culture expert, professional speaker, uh, trainer, consultant, and uh, all-round fabulous friend of Hung and uh, the community. Fantastic stuff. Great to see you back on the show, Joe. Um, uh, let me uh, let me ping the uh, link uh, for Joe there. Uh, we also have uh, Theo Smith. Theo, wonderful to see you. Quickly intro yourself. Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, I'm Theo Smith, a recruiter by trade, but I'm a neuroinclusion uh, advisor and author of the recent, well, last year award-winning book, Neurodiversity at Work. Fantastic stuff, Theo. Nice to see you. And Luke, thanks for dropping in last minute, man. I mean, I just saw you on screen. I thought, you know what, it'd be good to get your angle on, uh, you know, the BAME side of things in terms of how diversity is going this year as well. So um, quickly introduce yourself. Who are you? What it is you do? Um, I'm Luke Davis. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm the COO of a B Corp certified diversifying um, consultancy called Diversifying Group. Fantastic stuff. And by the way, congrats to your missus, by the way, who I understand is now a commander of the British Empire. That's crazy talk, man. Um, so uh, oh, so crazy news when I saw yeah. that. So apparently she commands me a lot more now as well, which I think... Yeah, well, I wonder, I wonder whether the conjugal relationship changes as her public status increases. Um, I should imagine... There's a lot more <laughs> yeah, and I do a lot more uh, staying at home and looking after things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Okay, uh, let's start with you, actually, Luke, because, um, you know, I guess the reason why I wanted to... Uh, Dee and I be, again, like all the topics today, we could have do like a mega show on it, but we have to crunch it down into, into short time simply because of constraints of uh, a schedule and so on. Um, but you're all on here because, you know, there's different dimensions of diversity, isn't there? Or, even though I think we all care about having the concept of look, we should be inclusive to everybody and you know uh, but we all have our own specialisms and our own communities we, we care about um so let's have a think about those in, independently for the time being uh, luke going to you first can you kind of uh, give us an overview of where you're seeing um diversity in 2023 as far as it comes to you know ethnicity uh, diversity and stuff like this so I'd never like to start things being slightly not positive, but I think 2023, there's been a shift. And um, obviously in our organisation, Cynthia, my wife, is a black woman and we have a number of uh, uh, black uh, employees. That if, they'd, if you'd asked them two or three years ago, like kind of what's the status for you at work at the moment, they'd have said, well, look, for the first time, people are open, people are listening. They're really looking to drive change. And I think a lot of that has carried on and continued. But I think what we've started to see is that bounce we had post George Floyd and post pandemic has shifted a bit. I think there's been a fair bit of pushback around a lot of initiatives, investment into projects. Um, generally, how people feel at work, I think, has, has gone down this year compared to previous years, sadly. How would you, how would you, what's your theory on that? Is it purely economic strain? Um, like companies are, you know, cracking under the economic pressure, perhaps? I think, and I don't see what Theo and, and Joe's thoughts are and what they're experiencing, but I think there's been a number of external factors. I think money is definitely a big part of it. I think companies are in survival mode. And I think when they're in survival mode, a lot of these important initiatives have just fallen by the wayside because they've got an existential existential crisis. I think also a lot of the stuff that's happening outside mm -hmm. of work as well, you know, a government that's not particularly friendly and that's putting it lightly around people that are different, I think it's had a really, really big impact. And I think also what happens externally in, in other countries, so geopolitical, I think all impacts people's day-to-day -day experiences. And then you throw in the rush to return to work, which has definitely had, I think, a negative impact for a lot of people um, from different communities as well. Put it all together, it's not a good mix. 
really interesting. Go ahead, Dio. Uh, just to throw in some stats there as well around exactly what Luke's talking about. So corporate America specifically and big market, right, has been slashing DNI workers um, amid the backlash that we've now had to diversity programs. And the backlash has been basically around they've not seen the evidence, right? Organizations have not seen the evidence. Also, the appetite has kind of waned a bit. Although organizations still put DNI at the top. Actually, the reality is in terms of putting people in key positions to drive it, that's dropped significantly. So it's an opportunity for us to improve moving forwards, right? Because we, we have some wounds to heal, um, but it, we're in a challenging situation. So just some data from September 2019 to September 2020, job postings for diversity, inclusion, belonging positions on Indeed rose by 56.3%. Right. And a LinkedIn study found that chief diversity and inclusion officers and um, positions grew by 168.9% from 2019 to 2022. So that's all the George Floyd stuff going boom, right? Um, but a problem we've got now is uh, Revelio Labs found one in three DNI professionals lost their roles over a one year period. That was 2022 up till December, right? So we've seen one in three jobs, and that was based on. Yeah, around 19, 20% of jobs uh, going anyway for, for non-DNI related roles. So probably a 10%, 13% increase on what you would expect. Um, so I think that's having a significant impact because a lot of the work that I do is directed by DNI leaders, right? Because they have a strategic view, an objective, an investment, but they need the expertise from the different areas like Luke, myself, Joanne, for example, they need to bring that in because they don't have that. They may have a particular line of experience, but the really good ones, you know, they're able to, to drive it strategically within organizations. So they then bring people like us in. So there is a cost to that um, that, that is going to impact us. Um, but there's also something significant that's happened this year, um, which is something that nobody's looking at which is the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive that came into play in January and watch out next year. I know we're not getting there yet, but it's going to be big stuff. But it's already hit this year. This week, I was at an event for a global tech company presenting on neurodiversity. But what was their topic? Sustainability. Now, we could be remiss of us to think that sustainability is around, you know, um, the globe, global warming, everything else. Uh, a core element of that uh, CSRD, the Corporate Sustainability Report and Directive, is around diverse talent. So I, I think there's going to be something in that that we can start to lean on from Luke's perspective, my perspective, and Joanne and others, where that may be the opportunity that goes beyond this year. Yeah, very good inter interjection there, Theo. Um, go to you, Joe. What what do you, what's your what's your experience has, has been this year compared to the years previously, as far as you know, D and IB. Um, <clears throat> well, let's be honest about let's talk about me uh, as a practitioner. My revenue's down this year. It's a lot harder. There's less budget out there. The opportunities that are out there. The, the rates are cut. There's a I think there's a saturation in the market. Lots of DEI practitioners and professionals out there. Maybe everyone jumped on the bandwagon a couple of years ago, and, and now there's too many. Too many. Oh, it's never too many. We've all got a place. But I think we are. I am seeing rates going lower. Um, I am seeing a lot of focus issue on neurodiversity. So Theo, you, you're probably in hot demand at the moment. 
Whether that continues into next year, who knows? It's very trendy at the moment. Right? So I, I, I was trendy a couple of years ago as a trans woman. Trans is no longer trendy. We've done, we've done trans, right? We've done, we've done ethnicity. We're now focusing on neurodiversity for this, this quarter. So I'd like to see what happens next year. I'm definitely seeing um, an uptick maybe in November, December. I've got yeah, more inquiries, more inbound stuff that I had. Maybe it was a real tumbleweed middle of the year. Um, my pride month is normally my biggest revenue month, and it was kind of what I would normally generate in in a in, yeah in a week. I was generating in the month, so I was about probably a quarter down in those in those core months for me. So yeah, there is a there is a downtick in in revenue there. You you mentioned a bunch of interesting things there, Joe. Give me a second, Theo. Firstly, um, for, thank you for being honest. Um, you know that's very refreshing and very very strong of you. I I, I think everyone can probably align with that. You know. 21, 22 record years. We've seen that huge sort of chart that uh, uh, that uh, George produced. All that money was potentially going into, you know, recruitment technology, consultancies, uh, headcount, etc. That's been slashed. So we all know where where, where we're at uh, with things. Um, and you mentioned also that the, 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 the kind of the focus, if you like, the spotlight as to what type of diversity is the, 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 the thing that people are driving towards seems to shift. So you know, I'm not sure whether this is a good or bad thing. It seems to me maybe it's both in the sense that you know, there's more, we're, uh, we're deepening our understanding of diversity, if you like. There's more than just one thing. Um, but perhaps the, a little bit more disquieting view might be it's a little bit more like bandwagony in the sense of here's the latest thing. So it's almost like a trend that you need to attach yourself with. We've heard of the term pinkwashing before. We've heard of greenwashing before. We've heard blackwashing before. Is it so? Maybe it's a little bit of like it's a, the commitment's quite ephemeral um, rather yeah, than it is. I mean, you know. I mean, I, I, I avoid focusing on diversity as a, as a kind of a word, as a as a demographic in those sort of terms. For me, it's all around culture, it's all around belonging, it's all around creating better environments for people to thrive. So that's what I talk about. And I think that fits into the well-being that is still core to many organisations. So, yes, I think if we can move past talking about diversity and shift into creating cultures, creating into belongingness, create and look at um, psychological safety and all the great things we know that create great working environments, then broader demographics, I hate the word diverse talent, I, I prefer broader demographics or people from a variety of backgrounds will succeed and thrive in those environments. Yeah. Can I just say that <clears throat> like everything that you've talked about in terms of 2023 has been a down year um, in, in the world of DEIB. I, I'm I am minded of the concept of like Maslow's not um, hierarchy of needs, and I'm thinking about this in, ter in terms of a, a corporate organization, right? I'm also thinking about it in the context of every recruitment tech startup, you know, in in the world has has probably not had the 2023 that they would have expected. But the difference is that DEIB is not something that should be switched off. That's not something that it's not for Christmas. That's for you know, that's not a thing where I've said in the chat here, it'd be interesting to see a list of the companies who had, you know, more people focused on this, um, either as a, as a leader or, you know, in jobs or were commissioning people like Joe and Theo to work with them and, and, and who now don't. Um, because, you know, that's just a list of companies who don't really care about this issue. It shouldn't be part of the Maslow's hierarchy of yeah. corporate needs. They in-housed it. I mean, as because maybe the maturity model of many organisation 
has, has progressed slightly. Maybe they've got more in-house expertise. Maybe they're not using practitioners. Budget gets cut. We know the first thing that gets cut is is contingent workforce, is is, is practitioners, is, is consultants. Maybe it's maybe it's that reflection. I don't think that's true, though, Joe, because if you're looking at people who've been made redundant, as Theo says, yeah. a great deal of that has come from DE&I who, who, who are permanent employees. So mm. what's happened there is that we've pushed people out. A lot of those folks, I think, have now become com competitors in the consultancy space because they've had to, you know, oftentimes these tough times will create entrepreneurs reluctant or otherwise. So, um, uh, so I don't think it's a case where internally we've uh, we've got to the point where we don't need consultants it's more i, I think sadly it is a, a, a kind of a shift of priorities it's like okay you know this is important when we had lots of money but now it ain't so important because we got no money um that's the reality as i see it uh theo thoughts on that so yeah i uh, just want to uh, touch on a point that joy mentioned earlier which is around the the popularity of certain topics and she's absolutely right um, so uh, neurodiversity, big, big topic, right? Boom, flashed year. This year, though, loads of negativity around it in the press. Tons. Loads of people saying um, ADHD, oversubscription. Too many people are saying that ADHD. Loads of negativity around that. Whereas actual fact, only one in three or four of those with a, um ADHD diagnosis are women, right? So we've got a huge swathe of women who never got a diagnosis, never got recognition, and are now searching for that. So that increase is down to a lack of diagnosis, not we now have overdiagnosis. But this is the problem, right? And we've seen this exactly what you talked about, that um, it, a topic becomes really big and interesting, and then people look at how they can attack it. That is the reality. It's the press that attack it, it's people that attack it, it's the non-believers, the non-acceptors. I'm like, whatever, you go and have your arguments over there in whichever social channel you want, I think what we need to focus on now is what is going to drive the next stage of change. And I think next year is going to be critical. And that's why I look um, at something and recruiters, I think you need to be thinking about this. When I talk about this CSRD, um, this is going to be like GDPR, right, where nobody did nothing about it. All of a sudden, every single organization is employing people to deal with the fact they've left it too late and they're going to have fines. Like, so think about this, right? So any organization with a net turnover of 40 million, a balance sheet total of 20 million, or 250 employees on average over the, uh, that financial year, two of those they have to meet, and they're gonna have to meet this directive, right? Now that's gonna go from, um, what, what are the numbers here? It, it's significant, actually. Oh, here we go. So it's expected that approximately 49,000 EU companies will be required to report sustainability information in the future compared with the 11,000 companies at present. That is massive. And just because the UK, we're not sat directly in the EU, we will have EU subsidiaries, which means we will have to follow this. And because uh, diver workforce diversity and respect for human rights are two core areas of that sustainability. So what I'm trying to say here is one, you're going to see recruiters, you're going to see a lot of unusual roles that, that are going to re be required to deliver on this. But I also think there's a huge opportunity for us to get budget that is aligned to this. So therefore, DNI initiatives that are being cut, we can look for the budget within our organisations that will come from this requirement that is going to become urgent as of January next year, but was already set in motion January of this year. 
So that that's me just trying to see where the opportunity is from the DNI perspective, because organisations are saying they're still interested. But you're right, Joe. There's something happening where, where there's a gap, uh, and I, but I think we can meet that gap, and that's where the differential differentiator will be, and where the other DNI people will drop off eventually and go back in house. And I think what you said there, Theo, around the pushback. You know, you find this with any change. You know, Black Lives Matter. There was a pushback. Um, Me Too movement, there's been a pushback. Trans movement, there's been a pushback. Neurodiversity has been a pushback. And it's it's where people feel their privilege or their, their status is being challenged. They feel like they've got to counteract it. I think in a climate with a, a government that is kind of right-leaning and away <laughs> from people experiences, more into the business, you know, trying to be hard and cold and business, more right-wing, I think we're seeing that 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 follow through. And it's, it's no longer trendy to do DEI stuff as a... You know what, I, I have to say, I mean, I think you understated the, the government's position on, on that, uh, Joe. Um, I, I, I tried to be apolitical. Yeah, <laughs> I, I tell you what, it makes a difference. So, so as far as I see it, it looks like it's economic sort of uh, challenge. Obviously, companies are under strain. That does mean cutbacks. And unfortunately, we've seen what the true priorities are. Uh, DEI has been shuffled down and shuffled out in many cases as a result of, you know, sometimes legitimate business reasons. But we can see where the priority list is there. Um, uh, secondly, um, we've, we've had, I would say, a, the, the, the backlash not only in a sort of um, discourse, but from political sort of uh, uh, you know, leadership. Um, you know, we've had politicians step up and say we're anti this, anti that, and it's like, or you know what I mean? It's the, the signalling sometimes becoming quite explicit. Um, so obviously, that gives the green light for other people to start realizing, you know, what maybe we want to go with what the government's saying, and then uh, you know, feel a bit more empowered, if you like, uh, to regress back uh, uh, against uh, these uh, these policies. Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. everybody who, who comes from a marginalised or underrepresented background would say they feel less safe now under this government. You know, we look at what's going on around the debate around Rwanda, our Home Secretary, our Equalities Minister, the Chair of the Equality and Human Rights Commission. We see all these people playing this, this right-wing agenda and people do feel less safe. They feel less safe. That, you know, we see the what's going on around the, the marches in London. Uh, the rhetoric around the policing of those marches, the anti-Semitism, the anti-Palestinian uprising discussions. We're pitting people against people, which is what right-wing governments try to do. They try to they try to create these divisive wedge issues and then say, we're talking to you, you, you and you. All these people feel mobilised because the government's attacking people who are their enemy. Yeah, that's sobering. Opinion. <laughs> no, that's very sobering. And folks, I don't want to leave it on 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 the tough note, but let's face facts. I think the first thing we've got to do is get our collective heads out of our anuses. There's no point um, in 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 burying your head in the sand, in my view. Um, you know, it's a tough it's a tough situation, um, and there are political forces that are, are you know stepping up and saying, okay, we're, we're going to push this back. So. You know, it's it's uh, it's time to make your voice heard on these things. Um, okay, listen, we gotta we gotta let it go. This has been a, a really long show, so thank you, Theo. Thank you, Joe, for joining us. Um, it's great to see you both. Um, and uh, and thanks everyone for hanging around. By the way, I know this is like going way beyond sort of normal time, but I think this is the pattern for these next. Uh, sort of three shows because we're going to pack as much in as we can and inevitably there's more to talk about than we've got space to do it um so thank you for joining us today it's great to have you next week we're going to be back we're going to be talking about recruitment advertising 
and employer branding. Again, a massive show. Um, what's happened in recruitment advertising this year uh, on SEO perspective, on job board perspective, programmatic advertising perspective, what are we doing in employer branding, all that kind of stuff. We've got an ensemble cast again. Um, and again, it's going to be on-off uh, type of roll, roll on, roll off. Anyway, that's about it. Everyone's got to go. So have a good weekend, everybody. Uh, we'll see you uh, next time. Uh, cool. Sorry, mate. I know I keep your ages. So I hope that was all right. It was, <clears throat> it was, but it was quite exhausting, wasn't it? Because, I mean, we just covered so much in that show. You know what? I, the problem I've got is that each one of these deserves its own show. Yeah. But th then it'll yeah. be you'll be starting it in a, in September, um, and then it's like you know what? It's with the third of the year, it's a quarter of the year still to go. So we can't exact. Maybe maybe in future, what we what we need to do is increase the numbers of Brainfood Lives, so we sprint at it. So we do a midweek show, um, and then we you know what I mean? We've got more units to go at because it's not not long enough for an hour. I that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, actually, coming up towards the end of the year, maybe we should do like three a week. Yeah, just sprint through and say, listen, we'll, one week's worth of review. That would be quite cool, actually. Could be, could be, could be half hour, bite-sized, half hour, three, three, like four half-hour shows in the course of the week, Lun yeah, lunch times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good idea. Anyway, we'll do that. All right, what are you doing this weekend? Anything interesting? I'm going to a charity ball gala thing tomorrow night, and I don't want to go. I hate stuff like that. Mate, I'm the same way. I've, I've, I've realized I'm going out every single day from now for the next six days. And, and like half of them are like black tie, cocktail, dread, all this. Um, and I'm thinking, I, I don't have the equipment. I like, literally, where is my tuxedo? I can't find it. Wow. Um, so, you know, you're, going this... you're going to St. James's on uh, Thursday, aren't you? You're going to have to dress posh for that, for that art gallery. Not that posh. Uh, the, the dress the yeah, the, the dress code is cocktail, uh, which means slightly better than smart casual, but not a tuxedo. So thank God for that. Um, no, it's not a cocktail dress. The dress code is as if you're drinking a cocktail. Um, although right now I don't even have anything. So a cocktail dress might have to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, that's it. Um, yeah. Catch you next week. Take it easy, mate. Bye.